And welcome to the twice monthly Industry 4.0 community podcast hosted by 4.0 Solutions. I am your host, Walker D. Reynolds. Today, um, we have Mark Pitt out who uh, works for Schneider Electric. He's based in Europe. Today, he's here representing himself, but has, has uh, gotten permission to talk about Schneider here on the podcast. Uh, we've got Zach and Vaughn who are going to join us uh, here in just a moment. Um, today, the whole conversation is going to be centered around uh, primarily four topics. Number one, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about Mark and his background and how long he's been at Schneider and what he does. And he's a pre-sales technical consultant. We're going to kind of talk about what that's what that's like. You know, um, number two, we're going to talk about um, Schneider Aviva leadership, specifically just some changes that have been going on. You know, that is Schneider's been growing at this huge exponential rate. You know, they, they uh, you know, gobbled up Aviva. Aviva bought OSI Pi. You've got all these big moves, moving parts. And what is the lead, the new leadership structure look like? Number three, we're going to talk um, about uh, OSI Pi specifically, sort of the uh, Aviva's been taking a lot of feedback from the community on the OSI Pi solution and kind of where do we think that's going to go? We're actually going to talk about some use cases. We're going to talk about... Um, you know, open in OSI Pi, MQTT in OSI Pi. We're going to talk about uh, the asset frame uh, SDK. And then the, the last conversation we're going to have is just like an architectural discussion about edge-driven versus server-centric. We're going to go over a couple of examples. So with that, we'll go ahead and bring in um, Vaughn and Zach and Mark. Okay. Um, Zach, Vaughn, welcome, guys. Good to see you. Uh, you know, it's funny. I shot a podcast over the weekend that I don't know if we're going to publish it on this channel or, um, but it's with a, a guy who does um, young guy, actually super gifted guy who um, does a lot of machine learning and artificial intelligence. It was a whole conversation centered around artificial intelligence and multiple times during that podcast. I wish uh, Zach was on there to, uh, so we could double team this guy, but um, let me, let me get over the announcements real quick. Hey, for those of you who are watching on YouTube, we never do this, but I'm gonna do it now. Please go down and like, like the video. Um, and if you're not subscribed to the channel, go ahead and subscribe. If you're watching afterwards, like, subscribe, comment down below. That really helps with the algorithm. I got to do a couple of just quick announcements and then we'll jump right into the podcast. So I'm speaking at IoT Happy Hour this Thursday, June 1st in Richardson in, here in Dallas. Um, that is at, uh, we'll go ahead and leave the link in the description here. I'm going to be doing a conversation on Industry 4.0 and AI. I'm going to be go, going over a bunch of use cases. So if you guys are in town, you're over in Richardson, whatever, come on out and say hi. The last time we I spoke there, it was, you know, we had a gazillion people there. It was pretty awesome. Next mastermind call is next week, June 9th. Um, and we're going to have uh, SAP. Uh, I think Salvatore is the one who's actually going to be on that call, who's the product owner for SAP uh, Digital Manufacturing. Um, we're going to talk about integrating ERP. Uh, mentorship calls June 16th. Um, and then we're also going to have Salvatore, who is he, Salvatore Castro, who is the product owner for digital manufacturing at SAP. He's going to be on the podcast uh, in our next podcast, June 13th. And for those of you who are doing Advanced MES Bootcamp, our final Advanced MES Bootcamp will be June 17th. We did the ERP integration last week, last Thursday. Um, we integrated uh, work orders uh, and bill of materials into our unified namespace via Odoo. We did it two ways, one through the Postgres backend, and then um, also through a Python API. Um, and that is June 17th at 8.30 in the morning. All right, with that, Mark Pittout, 
Welcome, brother. Why don't you quickly just introduce yourself? Who are you? Kind of what's your background and what you do at Schneider? Okay, so um, I've uh, been an engineer now for close to 20 years. Uh, I graduated at the end of 20 or 2003 from the University of Johannesburg. Started my career as an electrical engineer, actually, and uh, worked for a consulting engineering firm called uh, WSP international firm offices all over the place but um they also happen to be a system integrator for schneider electric uh after about nine years of working for them and moving from electrical engineering into control and instrumentation um i then joined schneider electric in south africa in 2013 and uh i spent the first four years of my career there as a as a projects engineer uh, doing PLC SCADA type uh, projects. So on the cert, was, you are on the services side. You were doing yeah, actual executing projects, right? Writing, cutting PLC code, building SCADA applications, and then going to site and commissioning it. Took me to places like uh, China, Sierra Leone, uh, Belgium. Took me all over the world, um, and and but I was mainly focused on um, mining. And then later, later on in that in that four year period in food and bev as well, um, but on the grain milling side. So it's still all very large, continuous process, heavy energy type uh, process uh, stuff that I was automating. And at the end of that four year stint, um, I then felt that uh, uh, site life was not for me. I wanted to be a bit closer to home, so I made the move into pre sales engineering. Uh, and I became an automation consultant, and I did that for four years. And then at the end of that four years, uh, well, basically at the end of, of eight years at Schneider Electric, 2001, middle of COVID, uh, I emigrated. I came to uh, the Netherlands, and I again joined a, a system integrator for Schneider Electric. I was uh, there as the Schneider man for for um, Schneider Elec uh, for, for that system integrator. But as all SIs, they did everybody, right? They did uh, Siemens, they did ABB, and, you know, they, they were not afraid to look around. Um, but they are an alliance partner for Schneider. Anyway, January this year, I got lured back to Schneider Electric, but now for Schneider Electric Netherlands. And I'm back to, to my old role, uh, automation consultant in pre-sales. Um, and, yeah, that's what I do. So and the, and the, the way that I got uh, connected to you is I've been consuming your, your media for the past, what, four years? It's, how long have you been on YouTube? That's how long I've been watching your videos. 2000, Five years. There we 2018, go. yeah, 2018. Yeah. yeah. Um, I've been, uh, my main uh, view of what a unified namespace is, is via your content. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, so you made a comment in one of your videos and that triggered me to, lash out in, in Discord, and uh, so the conversation got started. So yeah, I'll, I'll cr quickly give the background there. I don't remember which video it was, but you know, in general, this is my... So for those of you who don't know, Schneider Electric is the fourth largest automation company in the world. They're, you know, they do seven, eight billion in revenue just on industrial, just, just in industrial automation. They do seven or eight billion annually. Okay, so that makes them the fourth largest globally, okay? Um, Schneider has offerings from all the way down. If we just talk about in industrial automation, all right down to the 
terminal block inside of a panel all the way up to the IIoT platform at L3 or L4, and then with connectors directly into any cloud-based solution. So they are, Schneider is full, full stack. And if you were to look at their offerings today, they actually have a lot of redundant offerings as well. So, you, you know, Schneider may have, say, Magellus HMI, right? With, but also Aviva Edge, which used to be Indusoft. And they, they literally, they basically do the same thing, except one is purely software-based and the other one is hardware-software-based, right? So Schneider has lots and lots and lots of offerings. If you were to look at, you know, they, everyone knows the Modicon line of PLCs, but when you say Modicon, Modicon is really like a parent group of PLCs. There's, there is a lot of solutions. You have Micro and Nano and 850 and, you know, Schneider's got a lot of offerings in industrial automation. They are the, the fourth largest organ, um, company in the, in the world in this space. And I generally group them into the Rockwell, Schneider's, Emerson's of the world. Um, I try to always qualify it because if you look at the four largest you know, I generally try to qualify that Schneider does some things, in my opinion, much better than the other three. Okay. In the specific video we're talking about here, I didn't make that qualification. I also make that qualification for Siemens sometimes as well, especially when we're talking about Mendix or Mindsphere or WinCCOA. Um, so Mark commented in Discord and he basically, the, the nuts and bolts of that comment was, hey, listen, you know, I've been with Schneider for a while. I just recently came back. I just went through my onboarding and there was nothing in my training that was sell the Schneider stack. It was sell the solution, you, you know, include whatever Schneider solutions are appropriate, but also, you know, design the optimal solution for the client. That's what Mark said. There was a huge conversation in, in discord basically saying, you know, Rockwell ought to do this too. And, and, and although Mark wasn't speaking he wanted to make a, a point. He was speaking on behalf of Mark Pittout and not Schneider. He was still telling us about his insight at Schneider as an employee there. So yeah. we. So, so I think that that's a good inflection point for for me to just make that very clear. Um, you did use the Schneider logo on the thumbnail for the stream. Yeah. This is not uh, sponsored by Schneider. It's not. Uh, I'm not mandated by Schneider to speak here. I'm here speaking just as an engineer who's been with Schneider for a while and has a, has a fairly good view of what's what's uh, available in our tech stack. And, and what, what and, Schneider and so said, you, you did yeah, tell. So, yeah, so I got given, I went and asked for permission to appear on the stream and I was given two instructions. The first one is make it clear. I'm speaking as myself. I'm not uh, making any statements on behalf of Schneider. That's the first one. And the second statement was be honest. So even about the the bad stuff, the the not so pretty stuff, be honest. And so that's what I'm here to do. I'm here to be honest. So let me. I want to kudos. Kudos, by the way, to Schneider. Yes, kudos to Schneider for you know. Um, and let me. I, I want to. I said this in the pre-production to Mark. You know, I've I've had. Okay, when someone from Rockwell Automation reaches out to me, okay, they're like, I can't come on the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> Here, in general, this is what people from Rockwell Automation say when they reach out to us privately. Okay, and we've had a lot. Okay, by the way, there are a lot of people from Rockwell watch our watch our stream. Okay, they generally say, "I agree with everything you say," and I can't come on. 
<laughs> they basically say, I totally agree with everything you say. I can't come on. Mark did not say that. He did not say, I agree with everything you said about Schneider. And see, in fact, what he said was, here's my experience. There are some things that you've said that I agree with. And there are some things that you said I definitely don't agree with. And here's been my experience. And so we divided, decided to invite him on. We had a, we had a, a private conversation and then we had a pre-production conversation. So we've talked a couple of times and um, you know, at the end of this stream, I'll kind of explain where my position stands on Schneider and, and Mark knows what it is. I did tell him what my, my position is, but I want to, I want to lay the groundwork for those of you who don't work in the Schneider world, by the way, if you're in industrial automation, you're using some Schneider product. I, I assure you, it's very, very difficult to go into any facility and find nothing from the Schneider line card. Okay. But here's, here's one of the challenges at Schneider. And it's through M&A. Schneider does a lot of mergers and acquisitions. Okay. But here's just a list of some of the PLCs. This is not all. This is not an inclusive list. This is level one. So we're doing level one here. And this is just a list of some. So M, uh, the M580 EPAC, uh, the M340, the M262, which is a new IoT application line, uh, the the Quantum, the Premium, the TSX Micro, the TSX Nano, the Atrium, and the Momentum. That's just a just a small sample set of what they offer. Here's is Quantum. What, is Quantum still being sold today? Uh, well, no, that's that's legacy now. It's uh, it's okay. end of life. Eh? It's Those still, are insane it's controllers, still, by the way. <laughs> supported. There's still uh, a large install base of that, but uh, so we do do support it in some way, but um, no, it's legacy now. We don't actively sell it anymore. They're like this big. Here and here. Yeah. Here's another example, uh, uh, just just along, just HMI SCADA, okay? And this is a small list. So you got Harmony, you got Magellus. Everyone should be, from, you know, Magellus is basically panel view, right? It's Magellus is a very, I, in fact, I prefer Magellus to panel view. Uh, Viejo Designer, uh, Ecostructure Geo SCADA, which by the way, if, if we were going to compare what offering does Schneider have to say that's comparable to Ignition, it is the Geo SCADA environment okay it's the ecostructure geoscada environment uh, now you wouldn't say the edge you wouldn't say aviva edge is because of its indusoft roots if i had to pick just one okay if i had to pick just one okay i would i would i would pick geoscada yeah. by the way it, and the, here's why geoscada is of uh, in the in the in the schneider world in my opinion it is the platform for solving problems and i that's what i refer to Ignition as platform for solving problems. Now, someone at Schneider is not going to, they're not going to say that they agree with me on that piece. They're going to say, no, you need to look bigger in, in terms of the platform for solving problem. Don't limit it to just GeoSCADA. But for those who want to talk apples and apples, that's all. I, I, I would be one of those guys that disagree with you, by the way. <laughs> System platform yeah. and clear SCADA, right? SciTech SCADA, it looks like is now called Aviva Plant SCADA. Correct. Correct. Right. So, so, so part of this mergers and acquisition story has been we've been renaming product products like crazy, and every year you would find a whole host of stuff that that was renamed. Some of the products that you mentioned, Walker, are actually the same thing. It's just with a different label on it. Right. So, yeah. Rick, it, but yeah, you're right. We've got a very wide offer, and and it has been through mergers and acquisitions. Go ahead, Zach. Well, Rick asked why not system platform. Well. Right. And I did, I did. Oh, why not system platform as a platform for solving problems? Potentially. Yeah. Yeah. The answer is, is in from, uh, here, here's why Rick to answer this question. 
Rick was the product manager, right? At, yeah. Was, Here's chief why. Tec chief technical officer. Yes. So in order for you to be a platform for solving problems, okay, and, and we'll get into this, the leadership discussion here in a second. Uh, in order for you to be a platform for solving problems, there are some very important elements, okay? Number one, you have to have the mindset that if I have, if I have one, a 100% install base of whatever platform we're talking about, only about 10% of that install base is paid. 90% of it is research and development unlicensed. It's people using your platform to test ideas but they're not minimum viable product yet. They're not on the plant floor yet. And therefore they're not paying for licensing. So you have to have a land and expand model. Number one, if Eva system platform does not have land and expand, you have to go and pitch an idea and you know, you're going to get that license for maybe 30 days or 60 days or so a, there's no land and expand. Number two, from a development perspective at its base level, it has to be as easy as possible to work with. So that is, it has to be no code, low code, drag and drop. Okay. So you have to be able to take, give, put someone into a development environment, show them where data is, and they have to be able to drag data onto a window. Okay. That's number two. And number three, at the high end, there can't be any limit to what you can build. So you could basically build anything in it. And while Aviva system platform definitely almost meets number three, definitely does not meet number two. It is not loco, drag and drop. Okay, in InTouch, you can make the argument that Wonderware InTouch was that way. Even though it wasn't drag and drop, it was easy enough to take a tag and get it onto a window. But system platform is not that way. It is all object driven, right? So you have to first build the object before you can ever visualize the object, okay? And so that's one of the limitations of system platform. But the bigger piece is it is not a land and expand model. That's why. That's my that's my my piece. GeoSCADA, by the way, you will notice meets all of those requirements except for the land and expand piece. They don't have a mechanism to just get it in everyone's hands. But if you get it in your hands, there's no limit to how long you can play with it. So that that's the those are the qualifiers there. Let, let's talk about the MA piece here, Mark. So sure. Most people know that Schneider. You know, they they own a lot of companies. They own they and they bought a lot. So the and I would argue that the probably the, the biggest acquisition has been Aviva. Obviously, that was the biggest acquisition. Aviva owns Wonderware. The biggest in my mind was when Invensys bought Wonderware and then you know uh Schneider bought Invensys. Like because that rolled uh, the Wonderware system into correct. Here, but here's the point. But Aviva was probably bigger by you know correct. Aviva was a larger you know, Invensys buying Aviva didn't. It was an example of David buying buying Goliath when you when it turned in when it came to potential. Okay, when it came to potential market viability, the second biggest piece is Aviva acquired OSI Soft. So you have Aviva, which acquired OSI Soft, and through that acquisition, made it part of the Schneider ecosystem. So most people know Schneider, Aviva, and um. OSI soft OSI Pi is now part of the Schneider ecosystem. And one of the questions that I asked Mark when we first talked was, okay, you know, OSI Pi wanted their, they wanted to be the stack. Okay. OSI soft wanted to be the stack. Aviva wanted to be the stack and Schneider has offerings everywhere. How do you reconcile that from a leadership perspective? So we had this conversation, right? So how do you reconcile if OSI wants to be the stack? Aviva wants to be the stack and, and Schneider's got offerings everywhere. 
And we had this discussion about leadership. So I'm actually, Mark, I'm going to turn it over to you and let's talk about all the leadership changes that have been going on across that and kind of what does it look like today and how you believe that's going to funnel to a more cohesive approach. Yeah, so in, in, in the Netherlands, there's a saying that, that loosely translates to, um, you, you've just mowed the lawn in front of my feet. Eh? You've, uh, you've cleared the way for me. You've put a lot on the table. Yeah. Um, but I, I'd like to take just, just a slight step back and, and, and ask the question, um, how does someone become the CEO of a company like Schneider Electric, right? It's... It's not a it's not a fight to the death. It's not a popularity contest. It's not like how politicians get elected where everybody votes and the guy with the most votes win. It's 100% strategic, right? The CEO that gets selected for a large company like Schneider Electric gets picked by the board, by the executives. They select the guy and they say this man has the right skill set and the right focus to enact our strategy, all right? And if you then add to that, um, the stepping aside of, of Jean Pascal, who's been in leadership of Schneider Electric for, for two decades, um, he's not leaving the company, right? So it's not like Jean Pascal decided, well, he's, he's had enough of Schneider and he's, he's going to chase some other dream. He's still the chairman and he's still with the company. But Peter Hervik is taking over as as the CEO. So those two things, I, I think, um, are very significant and should tell you something about uh, the fact that change is coming to Schneider Electric, right? And let's talk change about- in strategy and therefore now change in CEO. And Peter, and let's talk a little bit about Peter's background. So Peter was a former, he was a Schneider guy who went and led Aviva and then- well, I'd like to go a bit, get a bit further back than that, right? Yeah. The, the first thing that struck me when I went and looked at his career is he started off as an electrician. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Came from tools. Yeah. That's, that, and when I see stuff like that, it really gets me, me excited. He yeah. then qualified as an electrical engineer, had a very long tenure at Siemens. He was there for, I think, yeah, 22 years. Started off uh, or did um, software R&D in motion control, right? So uh, very technical type stuff. And then basically worked his way up to become the CEO of process industries and drives in Siemens before he joined the executive team at at Schneider Electric. So the first thing that gives me a very warm, fuzzy feeling about him is he's an engineer, so he speaks my language, right? And the second thing is he's come through industry, right? If you look at the, you, you just had, a, had it about the, um, the product basket, but if you look at the businesses that Schneider or the, the verticals that we operate in, <laughs> it's data centers, it's building automation management, it's energy management, um, even that is quite wide. So the fact that our current CEO came through the industry business unit gives me a very comfortable feeling because I'm an engineer in the industry BU. So... I already identify very strongly with our, our new CEO. Um, if we, I just quickly give you the history about Kaspar as well. Seven years at, at Accenture until 2005, then 11 years at Cisco until 2015, then uh, came to Schneider Electric. Also, 
from the uh, industry business unit. Uh, he was he was there um, for six years, and then Kaspar and Peter both went to Aviva at the same time in 2021. Peter was CEO and Casper was COO. Correct. Right. And now that that uh, Peter has come back to Schneider, Kaspar has moved up into the CEO role of of um, Aviva. So should we? Let me ask you this question. So since they were they they were both senior executives while well, they were in the executive leadership at Aviva, but both had backgrounds, you know, prior to that. Um, should we assume that now the 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 former CEO of Aviva, who's now the CEO of Schneider, and the former chief operating officer of Aviva, who is now the CEO of Aviva, that we will see more of Aviva in Schneider, or do you think it'll be more of Schneider in Aviva? Right. So I exactly that. Um, the I, in preparation for this call, I went and consumed a lot of media about them, uh, interviews that they've had, um, especially their, their first interview since they started in their CEO roles. And the message that you get from both of them is exactly the same, right? Um, firstly, they, they, they say that key priority, and it should be for all business, of, of course, is customer focus, okay. right? Um, there's, there's a recognition that in this period of growth that we had through mergers and acquisition, we've created uh, a bit of discontinuation between all of our different offers. The dealing with one Schneider uh, business unit versus another is not 100% homogenous, right? There's a, uh, a strong drive that starts with their leadership to unify not only our offers, but also the way we do business internally. Right. I think I think the most surprising thing I heard from from Peter Hervik's interview was that we've got somewhere like 70 different ERP systems in our in our ecosystem in, inside our own company. Our own data infrastructure has got 70 ERPs. It's ridiculous. Right. So we're as we're preaching digital transformation to our customers, we're busy with it ourselves. And as you've said, it's uh, it's not a project that begins and ends. It's a strategy. Right. So we're looking at our entire internal systems, logistics, warehousing, manufacturing, everything, um, and there's a strong push towards unification. When it comes to our product basket, exactly the same is true. I've, I've seen some product roadmaps that unfortunately I can't spill too much about because it's all confidential and in, in internal stuff. But at, at all three layers of our stack, apps and analytics, edge control, and connected products, over the next five years, things are going to be extremely interesting at Schneider because there's a strong push to unify all of those um, product ba baskets. So Rick Bellotta pointed it out in, in Discord last year already. He said, uh, no, early this year, he said Schneider slash Aviva is in strong need of, of unification of our offers. Definitely. The Schneider leadership is focused on it. Here is my here's my opinion on Schneider. I'll go ahead and give it now. I'm gonna, I'm actually going to answer. I want to talk on uh, messaging and MQTT real quick because there's a lot of questions about MQTT as it relates to GeoSCADA and the Schneider offerings. So, um, it, number one, if you look at Rockwell Automation, right? In in Rockwell Automation, is, there is a disconnect between Rockwell's strategic focus and where the market is going. 
And that is by design. It's coming from the boardroom. It, at Rockwell Automation, it is coming from the boardroom as a directive that we use our offerings across the stack to get people to buy more Rockwell offerings. And we make strategic decisions to make it hard for you to use a Rockwell product with a non-Rockwell partner, okay? We don't make it impossible, but we try to put just enough of a barrier to steer you back to Rockwell. And that comes from the boardroom, okay? Yeah. I do not believe that that's the case at Schneider in any way, shape, or form. In fact, I think from the boardroom at Schneider, it is what we'll do is we'll try to, we want people to build the best solutions. And if we have the best products at Schneider, they're going to use our stuff. Okay. Yeah. And I believe that that's their strategic focus. Yeah. The problem so, at, at Schneider is the left hand doesn't know what the right hand is doing because Schneider is so big. It's so big. And there's a, and I think in a, from a strategic focus, they need to focus on unifying messaging strategy and execution at Schneider. That's what I believe at Schneider, but go ahead, Mark. Sorry. Yeah, so you, you took the words right out of my mouth. That's exactly what's what's happening at the moment. Um, and and so I've not seen any any specific roadmaps or strategies or anything. I don't operate at that level. But from the conversations that I've had, I've got one or two friends that do operate at strategy level. I've got uh, uh, contacts into the business via via management as well. And I, I take I take two things away from from the two CEOs that we've got and what they've said. Um, the first one is uh, they both happen to be German, and an interesting thing about Kasper is he also spent some time in the in the German military when he was uh, a young man. Both of them bring German discipline, right? And I think that's going to filter through the entire um, organization. And the last thing is if if the last decade of Schneider Electric has been growth through acquisition, um, I I used to joke and say uh, Schneider's philosophy is if you can't beat them, buy them. Okay. Yeah, it's still it's, it's, it's I still say that. <laughs> it's it's way more strategic than that. That that makes it sound very simplistic. Like, oh, yeah. they're competition, we just buy them. No. The companies that we have uh, acquired through the last decade have been strategic, be yeah. it for the tech or the people or uh, the customer base, right? There's been a strategy behind it. And I think the the change from Jean-Pascal to Peter and Kaspar as well um, is a signal that where the last 10, 10, uh, 10 years, the last decade, we've been outwardly focused, pulling in technologies that we didn't have, trying to get all the building blocks that we need to answer any problem. The next five to 10 years is going to be uh, focused inwards, structuring all of that, unifying it, and, and making a, a cohesive message out of all of it. So let's, that's my takeaway. Let me, let's, I want to pivot to the OSI pie. To, to segment two, the OSI pie discussion, but I wanted to, you know, there's a, there, there's always, I, if there's one question I get from people when they ask me my opinion on Schneider, as it relates to unified namespace and, you know, everything we teach about successfully digitally transforming, like in, in open ecosystems, they'll always say, which of Schneider's offerings support MQTT, which, which ones support Spark Plug B, which ones? And, and let, me, let me say this. It is very difficult to answer that question for a lot of reasons. But, um, and the, most of it has to do with 
Schneider just has so many offerings. They buy so many offerings. I'll just give you a couple of the examples, though. The, the two examples I give the most, if you're asking about MQTT support, one of the glaring omissions in GeoSCADA is the limited support for MQTT and GeoSCADA. And by limited, I mean none, but you can make it possible. Um, it, so, in, in, but here's my example. If you look at Schneider, say, GeoSCADA, then you mm -hmm. compare EcoStructure Machine Expert, and then you compare Aviva Insight, and then you compare OSI Pi, all of which support MQTT, and all mm -hmm. of which support MQTT differently. <laughs> so if you yeah. look at if you look at EcoStructure <laughs> Machine Expert, Machine Expert will produce and consume. So it's one of the few offerings that allows you to publish and subscribe from mm -hmm. agnostic brokers. Um, but if you look at, say, OSI Pi, which is probably, we're going to pivot into OSI Pi because that's representative of how a lot of other Schneider solutions handle MQTT. They, they, they handle it as ingestion only as opposed to, to ingest, ingest egress. Okay. What, OSI Pi takes the same approach. We consume via MQTT, but we don't publish back into an ecosystem, right? What I want to do is I want to talk about OSI Pi A, the Aviva acquisition of OSI Pi. What does that mean about the future of OSI Pi in terms of your perspective, okay? And then number two, let's talk about the discussions you've been having internally because OSI Pi has been, or Aviva has been soliciting feedback from the community on how they want to see, you know, what do they like about OSI Pi, what they don't like, what feature sets do they want to see. And what I want to do is turn it over to you about all the discussions you've had as it's related to OSI Pi. You know all the questions I'm going to ask. I'm just going to turn it over to you. Sure. I, I, I just want to take two seconds to to defend GeoSkater because okay. it happens to be my favorite skater product inside our basket. But okay. um, I think it has a very nice MQTT spark plug capable driver, also capable of um, building tags from metrics automatically, all of that good stuff. But yes, it only ingests data. It does not publish. So okay. there, there we have a problem. Okay. Yep. Okay. OSI Pi. <clears throat> um, so... I had to go and educate myself about what OSI Pi is after our first conversation about it um, because I've never touched it. So also, whatever I say now, take it as secondhand information. I may make one or two mistakes here or might misunderstand small topics, but I have done my best to try and educate myself. Um, OSI Pi, uh, I, I spoke to um, a sales consultant at... Aussie Soft that basically does the same thing that I do, and I asked them some questions. I said, uh, "Can we? What, what can we do with MQTT inside uh, OSI Pi? Uh, what future developments are there in the roadmap? And um, how how can we take data from OSI Pi and and put it into a UNS and and that kind of stuff?" I wish I had the answers that you wanted. I wish I could tell you that, yes, in, in the very near future, OSI, uh, Aussie Soft is going to release a, a, an adapter or a connector that's going to publish data out via MQTT as well. Unfortunately, that's not the case. Um, the message that I got was, uh, yes, they're very happy to consume data from an MQTT broker because they see that as, as an OT data source but they do not want to position OSI Pi as just another OT data source. 
So they don't they 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 feel uncomfortable with the idea of of publishing data out uh, via MQTT. But they say uh, that there's a whole host of other ways that you will will get data out of OSI Pi via. Um, let me just find my notes here. The, um, the, the SDK, the, the API, and and the um, the extract transform load uh, plug and play uh, interface that they have. Um, I argued the point a bit. I said to them, well, the customers that I'm talking to, they have a unified namespace. You can stream data from that unified namespace into, into Pi. There you now put the data into, into an asset framework and then do some calculations that produce metadata about the objects in your unified namespace. The expectation is to take that data back to the unified namespace and then we had a bit of an argument about, yeah, but, but where should the UNS lie and, and all of that kind of stuff. Well, customers that I'm talking to, the UNS is outside and OSI Pi is just another application in the ecosystem. Whether it's OT, IT, it makes no difference. The UNS is where all applications go to access any data about the, about the entire uh, enterprise. And so there was a bit of a disconnect. It's not ideal. Um, there, there are other ways to get data back into the UNS via, via MQTT. Um, there, is, uh, there are third-party uh, adapters or connectors that you can use that act as a translator. They access the OSI Pi data model and then publish into the unified namespace of MQTT. Like Highbyte will and, do and, that. Yeah, right? one of, yeah. yeah, one of the things. So there's a Pi system connector in Highbyte. And uh, we were talking about this in the pre-production that... The way that we currently, the, the, the way that we currently, cons so I'm going to quickly from a high level explain the, what the OSI Pi stack is. Okay. So you have an OPC server. Okay. You got an OPC server that's serving out OPC objects or items into the OSI Pi historian. Now you can store that stuff raw. You can just basically take the tag from the PLC and drop it straight into the historian which you generally do. But one of the other things that you do is you create asset frames where you organize together, you do data modeling or information modeling in asset frames inside of OSI Pi. Asset frames are like, for those of you who do PLC development, they are like user-defined user data types. They are, they, you are basically grouping together many different data points into a structure that provides context. So you may have an asset frame that is a pump. You may have an asset frame that is a tank, right? Th those asset frames then can feed into event frames that will then take those values and transform some of those values into new KPIs, okay? And then you can you can do analytic, you can plot those on dashboards, you can put them in time series charts, you can do lots of cool things with them. Here's the problem. The problem is, is that I want to say the problem, the challenge we face using OSI Pi as opposed to using another historian that supports MQTT out of the box is that you can't take an asset frame. The So you have two things in an asset frame, which is an object. You have the definition of the asset frame and then you have all the instances. So right now, if what you want to do is extract that data from OSI Pi using, for example, the asset frame. SDK, which is really how Highbyte does it. Yeah, deterministic. It's deterministic. You have to know all the instances that exist. So you can't, if I create a new instance, it can't just be pushed into the unified namespace. So ideally, what you would be able to do 
is know all the definitions that exist inside of OSI Pi, all the definitions of an asset frame or an event frame. And then you could just say, for every definition, give me all the instances. And so if I created a new instance, it would, re it would return. Right now, that doesn't happen. It's deterministic. You have to know what's there. It's problematic, obviously. That's not well, edge driven. It seems like the SDK in that interface wasn't built with edge driven and plugging into a unified namespace in mind. Correct. Exactly. And so, and then there's somebody else asked about, uh, I just want to answer this, this question here. Uh, um, can't be the UNS for yeah, my expect. That's exactly what we said. Yeah. Like what, yeah. Luke Reznicek, yes. Yeah. So, and by the way, Mark is in agreement here. Pi asset frame cannot be the UNS as we define it. Okay, as we, as what we teach as a unified namespace, Pi asset frame cannot be the unified namespace. Not only is it not scalable, it, it isn't scalable, but more importantly, it do, it won't cover every use case in your organization. So it won't cover every functional use case. Therefore, you'll have to leave solutions behind. But there was, uh, Gatfi said, can you give a few more details about MQTT and other technologies you talked about? Because there's a lot of people that never heard about them, and thank you. Okay, real quick, MQTT is messaging queue transport telemetry. It is a technology, and this actually will segue into OSI's strategy as it relates to MQTT. They view MQTT as an OT protocol, and that's part of what's driving their MQTT is a technology that was developed in the late 1990s, 98, 99, and it was developed in conjunction by a guy named Arlen Nipper and a, and a guy named Andy Stanford Clark from IBM. They were working with Philips 66, and they were working over serial networks, and they were trying to collect millions of data points over a serial network, okay? And they created an, a whole new protocol that was edge-driven publish subscribe so report by exception so basically the device on the edge is pushing the data and only the stuff that changed mqtt everybody is familiar with mqtt when if you're using iMessenger on your phone like your apple phone when you are when someone's texting you and you see the ellipses that is that is you being informed through a broker that they're typing that that's they use mqtt for iMessenger they use mqtt for facebook messenger it is a very very popular iiot protocol that was originally developed for industry but really didn't take hold in industry until like 2013 or 14 so for the first 15 years it was on the commercial the commercial side of the world but what i wanted to and, point out is and, I, and, and if if yep. you're like me and you're not on facebook right? Yeah. But you have a Netflix subscription, you're also using MQTT. Yeah. So, but the, one of the issues is, is that from at least the OSI group views MQTT as an OT protocol and it's meant for OT ingestion, basically, right? And it's yeah. not meant to be a, it's not a protocol that is, that they don't view it as a protocol for your digital infrastructure of the business where you have OTIT convergence. Right. I want to say one other thing because I want to give Schneider credit here. Earlier on, we were talking about OSI Pi and asset frames. And, so, you know, Zach had said, well, isn't that really digital thread? And I said, yeah, well, obviously it is. It's a digital thread. An asset frame is a digital thread. But Schneider, OSI Pi actually does digital thread right. Okay. There's nothing wrong with digital thread on a use case by use case basis as long as. When you create the digital object, you do one of two things. If you create it on the edge, you make it additive. That is, as information is created from the object, you can put that information, you can publish it back on. And so as it moves up the stack, when it gets to the data lake or the data swamp or whatever data, you know, lake house now they call it, um, it is fully contextualized. Okay. You didn't have to leave anything behind. 
you do it that way. Or what you do is you don't create the thread until all the context is done. Mm. So an OSI Pi tries to do that approach where you take OSI Pi, which is where OTIT convergence takes place, and they create the asset frame there. That's after supervised control data acquisition and manufacturing execution. So you could create an object that has all of your OT context in OSI Pi. And it is one of the, the things, you know, they do do it right. They create the thread in the right place. The problem is, so like, is exposing the data and information outside of Pi. When, when I, yeah, and that's why I said digital thread, because I remember you did the AWS digital thread video. You talked about how digital thread is like you're threading it up to the cloud and then right. you're unlocking value out of the cloud. Right. And in the same way, Pi is similar where you're, you know, you're getting it into Pi and then you're unlocking value typically out of Pi. For what do you, Mark, any, any, what do you see as the future of OSI Pi? Based on your conversations, what 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 would you expect to see okay. for the next year or something? If you can share that, I didn't know if that was so. Okay. So, um, as for what's on their R and D roadmap, I I don't have any more view on it than perhaps you have. Um, there are two links that I want to make reference to, okay. but but what I can say is at part of the whole product offer uh, unifying uh, exercise that's that's kicked off this year at Schneider. Um, one of those, it, the, the top layer of the ecostructure stack, which is apps and, uh, and analytics. Over the past five years, we've, we've had products pop into that layer called advisors, right? We've, we've got uh, machine advisor, asset advisor, product advisor, and they, they popped up, in my opinion, like little mushrooms, right? But each one of them were in their own little niche application. Uh, I think the most curious one I found was pumping performance advisor, for example. Which hey, is hey, Josh, Josh, real quick, can you share that slide? It's the eco structure for industry slide in the notebook. Go ahead, Mark. Yeah. So, um, but each one of those advisors was its own little cloud platform, its own little niche application that wasn't, it, it wasn't representative of, of um, your, your data throughout your entire ecosystem, right? Right. So even uh, if you look at this slide now already, if you, if you were to find this slide from, say, three years ago, that top layer would be way more populated. They would be like nine, ten different advisors all in that and in that layer. And you'll notice it's it's a bit bit less crowded there now. And is that because the, mess, uh, the, the, because the expansion of EcoStructure, where they're they're doing consolidation through EcoStructure? Yeah. So that apps and analytics layer, mm -hmm. the exercise that's happening now is a lot of those advisors are shifting over to the Aviva side. Okay. And the, the two platforms that are, are highlighted as potential replacements for the current advisors that we have are Aviva Insight, if it's a very basic, uh, not, not too uh, you know, technologically intensive uh, uh, cloud platform or cloud application. And for the more complex type stuff, it's Aviva Data Hub. And Data Hub comes from AussieSoft, right? It comes from the OSI Pi uh stable my my view on on uh data hub at the moment is um it's it's a bit bare bones it's it's very complex there's a, 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 you need an, a, a couple of guys who know data ops who know what they're doing to engineer that for you um but i think what's going to happen over the next 
couple of years is as Schneider is looking to migrate these advisor portfolios or advisor products over to uh, potentially Data Hub, that we might start finding some out-of-the-box applications where if the appropriate data is present in, in Data Hub, you can plug an application on top of it that is a machine advisor or an asset advisor, et cetera, et cetera. Let, let me ask that, you, that's where it's going. Let me ask you that. I know I, we, this wasn't on the topic, but I just came up here. Oh, yeah. which is, here, here is a very common, um, let's say I get brought in or one of our architects gets brought in in a pre-technical sales or so pre-technical or technical sales role, right? So what we're yeah. doing is we're doing the evaluation we know what the business problems are. We're look, getting the lay of the land. We maybe be looking at one plant and we're going to go ahead and put in a digital infrastructure through which we'll start building solutions. Okay. So here's a very common architecture that we do. We'll, we will at the plant level, we will, in, the first thing we'll do is install Kepware to talk to all of the PLCs, all the industrial hardware. Then what we'll do is we'll install HiByte, which will consume from Kepware and give us our data ops mechanism. Then we will install as a IIoT platform, either Ignition or Factory Studio, or depending upon what our specific needs are, we'll get that installed at the plant level. We'll connect to it. We'll connect to a database and we'll drop a historian in. And generally the historian would be say Canary Labs because it, it, you know, it natively integrates to what we're doing. Right. Okay. And then what we do is the first thing we do is we just acquire all the data and we model it based on the business model, generally ISA 95 part two. And then what we do is we solve a problem by saying, okay, we have all the raw data. We got the stuff from the PLCs. We've got the work order from the MES. We've got the, we've got the manufacturing order in the bill of materials from the ERP. And we got to create some solution and we're going to build a functional namespace. And then we're going to visualize that the human being is going to interact with it through a dashboard built in ignition and that is consumed from you know basically high byte is the one that's connecting to the erp connecting to any existing infrastructure and kepware is talking to all the devices when you're going in and you're doing the same thing but you're doing it through hey i work at schneider mm -hmm. can you can you could you give an example of that what that would look like what suite of solutions you might recommend that is a combination of say schneider and or not schneider solutions is that something you hey we generally we're using this for connectivity we're using this for modeling we're using this for platform. best in class yeah i i i i'm hesitant to to put myself on a on a pedestal and say well all of this that i'm i'm picking out is best in class i i yeah. certainly don't have uh, your breadth of view and uh I also have to have to caveat that the industries that I've worked in are different than yours. Right. I work in water. I've worked in mining. I've worked in heavy industry. Right. You've been. You're more focused on uh, discrete manufacturing, packaging, right. that kind of stuff. Right. Yep. Slight slight different nuances in in those industries. Um, but the 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 SCADA package that. At, well, I'll start at Skater because the PLCs can be anything. It can be Schneider PLCs. doesn't have to be. Right. Um, every Skater package out there has a thousand drivers and can connect to anything. Like a, At least any good Skater package has enough drivers to connect to anything. Um, the, the Skater software that gets put at the, uh, the edge control layer is a Viva system platform from us. Uh, there are 
some technical reasons why Geoskater doesn't always make it there. Okay. Geoskater is very particular for telemetry. Yes, object model uh, or object oriented, um, very easy to engineer, but there's certain performance limitations uh, in inside um, Geoskater that means that I can't position it as, as an enterprise class type skater that will do everything kind of thing for you. So Aviva system platform is the uh, um, skater of choice. Okay. That's, that's, and, and that's, as you pointed out, that, that it brings with it some engineering complexity, but it does bring with it an object model. Yeah, it gives you connectivity, it gives you object modeling, and it gives you platform. It gives yes. you all three in one. Okay. Yeah. If you then, if you then start looking at um, Historian, the, the Wonderware guys, the, I call them Wonderware guys because they have Wonderware yep. history, are, are tend to, to go for, for Wonderware Historian. Mm -hmm. What I've found at the customers that I've been talking to, 90% of the, the water customers in the Netherlands are using OSI Pi. Okay. Right? And that has the ability to recognize the object model that's in system platform and translate it across without having to do engineering. Right, yeah. and then you start doing your your additive. You're adding data to the object model and expanding it as you go. Start starting to go up the stack. And what? And another. I just want to point out what Francois put in here. So this is actually a good architecture, which I would have outlined as well. Is Aviva Edge on the edge, which is the old Indusoft. Um, so, but Aviva Edge on the edge, MQTT broker to the Aviva Data Hub. Uh, and then twin thread back into the data hub. So that gives you an analytics layer on top. That's a, the, the issue here is a vet edge is not, you know, edge isn't, um, I would not call a Viva edge plant level. I would call it like line or area level. Um, okay. it, it feels to me like we're, we're starting to, to, to digress into the next topic. And be yeah, before we go there, there's a very important thing that, that I, Josh, if, if it, if it's possible for you, uh, the two links that I shared about uh, the feedback pages for OSI Pi and also for Data Hub, right? This is what I have to say. This is, this is my call to action for you and your community, yep. right? Um, is go on to the feedback page at Aviva, right? It's uh, datahub.feedback.aviva.com yeah. and pysystem.feedback.aviva.com, right? It, it's in the link or in the description. Um, if you go on there, you, you find a page where people can propose ideas of things that they want inside OSI Pi or in Data Hub, right? And you can search through those ideas. You can see which have been completed, which are in progress, and which they're asking for more information. If you search for MQTT, uh, oh, and you can vote on it. Users can vote and say they like this idea. And obviously, if enough people vote on it, then the developers take note and they, they start actioning it. If you search for topics on MQTT, you'll find some. They've got very low votes. And specifically, there's only one uh, request to have Pi data published to an MQTT broker, right? Only one. And so far, I think it's only got seven votes. Uh, I've, and, and, and you can comment on it. So I was, I was the, the first comment was, Pi need to do this to stay relevant by an anonymous user. I've, I'm the second guy that commented on it. I said exactly everything we just said. We, we want to get data from 
pi back into the UNS and it has to go via MQTT, right? Please, your community, go there, go vote for that topic and please add your comments because I think you can do a much better job of explaining the use case to the developers than I can. Let me, uh, real quick, I want to, this ain't my real name. Who? <laughs> very nice <laughs> handle. Uh, so his que your question, hey, Walker, about this example you just gave, basically you try to capture as much raw data from as many PLCs as possible, and then you think about how to use it, never the other way around. Let me answer that real quick, just because we're going to go over. We have one more topic to cover, which is an architectural topic, which is the most important topic we're actually covering. So, But if you can't stay, I want to make sure everyone hears this. I cannot stress this enough. Okay, I cannot stress this enough. Uh, in our conversations with SAP, with Salvatore Castro, when he's on in a couple of weeks, the place that he and I are going to disagree the most, okay, is Sal SAP and most of the legacy organizations argue that you should only capture data you have a specific use for. Okay, that is preposterous. Um, if you if what you want to do is uh, if you look at the organizations who are most digitally mature and who are basically killing everyone, I don't know if you guys noticed, but Ford waved the white flag and said, we give up Tesla, you won. I mean, that's literally what just happened last week. Okay. And we want to ride on your coattails. That's literally what Ford just did because they know that Tesla is gaining five years on them every year. Every one year they're gaining They're Now they're moving ahead five years, every one year. How did Tesla do that? What it is, is they made data their primary commodity. And I've, I've said this many times, and there's a machine learning post we did. There's two steps in machine learning. Step number one is the easy stuff. You could hire somebody who barely graduated with their degree in data science and ask them to write you a linear regression between two data points, X and Y, and they're going to be able to do it. That is testing a hypothesis you came up with. I know there's some relationship between X and Y, but I can't put it I can't m mathematically prove what it is. I need someone to do that. That's the easy stuff. The, the real important part in machine learning is using raw data to find patterns in the data we can't see with the naked eye. What's Schneider's AI play? Like, what is their AI platform? We'll come right to that here in a second. But the point is, all data matters. All data matters. In order for you to take the second step and use clustering, to find patterns in data we can't see with the naked eye and then use other algorithms to determine whether, determine whether or not that is actually a relationship or it's an outlier, okay? You have to collect everything. You, it is absolute pure hubris for you to think that you know all the data, point, the data points that matter, okay? Honestly, it's pure hubris. Okay. Anyway, uh, Mark, let me turn that, turn that over to you. What is, yeah. in your opinion, Schneider's AI play? Yeah, I, Zach, unfortunately, I don't play at that level. So I'm not in touch with the R&D guys that are developing the AI. Um, it, it's pretty much all in Aviva stable, right? Because they play with the, the data platforms and the, the cloud platforms that we have. Um, I have heard that artificial intelligence is going to become even more uh, pronounced in, in the offers that we bring in the future. So it is a big part of our strategy going forward. What it entails exactly, I, I'm not the guy to tell you, unfortunately. Yeah. Okay, fair right. enough. Conversation number three. So this is the, the you know, the... the we should have John, uh, would you have John or Peter? Peter on the podcast? Maybe he'll come on. 
well, you wouldn't have, you want, you want more the product owner. Well, well, let me ask you this. If yeah. Peter were to come on, what would you ask Peter then? Me personally? Yeah. What would you ask Peter? Oh, the, what his values new are? CEO of Schneider. Yeah. I'd ask him what his values are. That'd be question number one. My, the question, the question I ask every CEO is I ask him two questions. Okay. Number one, they never expect me to answer, ask these two questions, by the way. But question number one is what are your values? Like literally, what is it you, do you value? If I get the deer in headlights look, then I know what they are is they're focused on the P&L and they're, they're quarter to quarter and that's what they are. So question number two is, do you believe that the executive leadership in your organization are the smartest people in your organization? Like, do you believe that you have all the answers or do you believe your job is to create an environment that enables the people who have the answers to realize the solution to those answers, those, those questions? And, and those are the two questions I ask every chief executive. If you're ever going to come in front of me, you should definitely be expected to be prepared to answer those two questions. Uh, so, Mark, let's talk about number three here. Okay, so topic number three is we want to have a discussion about server-centric development. So think centralized data hub in the middle and you kind of build everything in there versus a combination of, you know, edge-driven deterministic um, development. Mark, no, go ahead. No. Not a hundred percent, but it, uh, in in consuming uh, all your media, um, I, re I really started having a bit of a frustration with um, uh, the term uh, "don't be deterministic." Deterministic, right? yes. Yeah, don't well, don't be deterministic, right? Don't be deterministic with data. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. But um, it sort of struck me that. Because I'm an engineer, I'm a nuts and bolts kind of guy. I don't like uh, vague, opaque uh, uh, pictures. I like to see every single detail. I like to be deterministic, right? And so uh, in the industries that I've operated in, um, the design approach, especially between PLC and SCADA, has been one that is extremely deterministic. And it is, um, uh, in fact, it's described commonly described as a hybrid DCS approach. Uh -huh. Okay, so I'm here to make a case for that uh, at the hand of an, an example. Um, Joshua, you're welcome to put the, the, the graphic that I sent you earlier today up on the screen. Yeah. I'm going to talk ar around the background first, um, and then we'll climb into to what's on screen at the moment. So let me um, let me qualify real quick, Mark. So you, you made the hybrid DCS. So I want to explain that for people who don't understand that. So I'll, I'll explain it okay. if, if you'll yeah. allow me. Okay, right, go ahead. Right. So so. Um, D DCS is, a, is, a, is an extremely uh, deterministic kind of uh, automation strategy where, yeah, it's distributed control system, but everything, uh, be it the graphics, the, the data, and the control algorithms are packaged up into uh, objects, okay? And before you begin any DCS uh, project, you begin with a, a template library where you define the uh, the objects, what data is inside them, what the graphics looks like, uh, alarms and events, trends, blah blah blah, all get packaged into an object. And then when you develop the um, the control system for uh, a process, you go and instantiate uh, objects from those templates. Right. Hybrid DCS is simply taking that exact same approach, but what gets pushed out at the end of the day is not a DCS system like a Foxborough or an Emerson uh, DCS system. It's still a PLC and a SCADA application, 
right? So the runtime of your DCS application that you built is a logic application that runs on a PLC and a SCADA application that runs in Aviva Plant SCADA, Aviva System Platform, whatever you want, right? Um, so that's that's my explanation of hybrid DCS. Is that good enough for you, Walker? Do you want to add? Yeah, I would just say, I, I would say uh, <clears throat> from a DCS perspective, and I've had a lot of people argue with me on this piece, DCS is is two components. There's two important components of DCS. Number one, speed is of a priority. So there's almost always some type of field bus that connects mm -hmm. all the hardware together. So you're getting super, super fast data transmission. That's number one, kind of, yeah. you know, taking the, the SCADA platform, the master and all the slave Rios and putting them together over some type of field bus rather than say ethernet IP or whatever, right? Generally, it's some type of field bus so you get high speed. Number two, what you're doing is there's three layers of objects. There's, and they all match each other. So object number one is the object for the process. And it generally lives in the DCS may look like a function block. That's an object. That object then maps to a API object that allows you to retrieve it. I, I want to pull all the data from that function block or that object. And then you have a visualization object, which directly maps to the thing in the DCS. That is a different... In DCS, you always develop that way, as opposed to this hybrid approach where you have the option of developing that way or not developing that way, right? You could just you, yeah. you could deterministically just connect everything together instead of dropping in the template that maps to the process object and say, and, 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 and then it just visualizes it. So, yep. So, yeah. So, so if you, if you need examples of, of hybrid DCS products, then, uh, Siemens PCS seven is one of them. Yep. Rockwell's plant PAX is in the, in the neighborhood and, uh, Schneider has one called uh, process expert, right? They're all, hybrid DCS products. Um, right, so exactly what you explained now about the the logic, the data, and then the visualization is typically what you get out of a hybrid DCS system that you define templates with all of those components in them. And when you instantiate uh, the logic of how something gets controlled, be it a, a motor, a valve, an instrument, or some equipment module that lives over the top of a grouping of, of other objects. Um, all of the logic gets generated for you. Uh, all the data interfacing to the SCADA gets, gets generated for you. And all the graphical objects are, are, you just drag and drop them onto the page and you're done, right? So in all of the projects that I've executed, that's been the approach, mm -hmm. okay? So, um, Another, another little contextual difference between the industries that you operate in and the ones that I do um, is uh, if you look at the, at the graphic that's on screen at the moment, the one thing you'll notice is absent there is HMI. Uh -huh. There are no HMIs in that entire system. Okay, The HMI is the SCADA. And because the SCADA is your, your complete and entire HMI from which you do all your diagnostics, all your fault finding, uh, sequence of events, everything, every single bit of data in the PLC, excluding like little flags and timers and, you know, bit of logical control uh, type of data that's pertaining to how you, how you put the program together, but object data, 
every single bit of object data that lives in the PLC, one-to-one -one is extracted into the SCADA. So when you have a SCADA system in front of you, all relevant data that you could possibly want about any object has been extracted out of the PLC and therefore lives in the SCADA. Okay. And there is, um, so, so the, 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 the question that I, that I then ask, especially if you've gone and built a, a system like that, is, is it necessary for my PLC to talk MQTT? Where is the edge actually? Because all the data lives in my SCADA, and if I just needed to get that data into a UNS, my PLC doesn't have to do the transmission. My SCADA does it. So I point, I point all my SCADAs into the UNS, and below my SCADA is where all the PLCs are. But that's and by the way, yeah, that's beautiful. Um, by the way, I'm not I'm not making the argument. I'm definitely not making the argument that if if assuming that the DCS environment has assumes so here's a very important point Every, everything that's in a distributed control system as it relates to object is function based so that is it has a functional purpose you don't build the object without having a functional purpose right and that functional purpose could be process control a function could be a pid loop right um you know yeah. it could be temperature control as a function all right yeah so that all of that stuff matters and that's all function based so in the uns world we call that a functional namespace right so if we were to look at the namespace we would have a functional namespace for each of those things temperature control pid but yeah. you'd also have a functional namespace for the object itself okay number one now and the object could be something like tank or it could be in the steel industry it would be something like a rolling stand in a rolling mill right you would have mm -hmm. a object for a rolling stand and then you would have sub objects for all the functional processes. All that stuff matters. But mm -hmm. also there are other things that matters too. Like for example, the state of the actual hardware, the IO, the data on the IO, the raw events on the IO. So um, most, by the way, most DCS systems don't make that data available outside of the DCS system. We right? do. Right. But we do. But most DCS systems don't. So with you guys, what I would argue is, no, you all you have to do now is put a layer on the side of the DCS, which is the layer that exposes through whatever our common protocol is, say it's MQTT, we go DCS over MQTT into unified namespace, right? That's what yeah, I would absolutely. argue. If, if, if you look at what we do, and yeah. let's say it's not MQTT, let's say it's OPC UA, it doesn't matter what it is. My point is it needs to be IoT protocol, right? Yeah. If you look at the, the most common um, DCS environment out there for us is going to be like Emerson Delta V, right? That's, mm -hmm. you know, it, life sciences, that's a de facto. Also in, in heavy industry that we see that a lot, right? The, basically what we're doing, we're never going out to the hardware and saying, hey, you need to add in MQTT support and transmit this. What we're doing is bolting on a layer next to the side, on the side of the DCS and then publishing all that. But what we're losing are the raw events from the Emerson Delta V hardware because that isn't exposed. Okay, so so with with a, a Schneider solution, take uh, Modicon M580 PLCs, that's very popular in the heavy industries um, and hybrid engineering that with uh, Process Expert, our hybrid DCS, um, and then using System Platform as a runtime, by the way, which is a possibility. You could use either Plant Skater or System Platform as a runtime. Um, yeah, one of the one of the first 
template templates that we have in our library is uh, all the hardware uh, events, everything that happens on IO cards, network cards, everything that helps you diagnose the hardware itself, nothing to do with your process, the hardware. Those are the first set of templates that you have uh, in the library. And then, yes, then we go on to the process. So we don't only give you process data. We give you all the hardware stuff as well. Um, and yes, if it is then in system platform, as, as we already know, system platform does have a bi-directional MQTT driver, spark plug B, and can then push all of that stuff into the UNS. No problem. Okay. Josh, I, can you put the graphic back on? I just, I have just want to make a case here, right? So if we look at this, I, I don't know how clear it is for everybody, but this is an actual customer of mine. I, I did not design this architecture for them, but this is the result of me sitting with them and getting, like, I'm coming after the fact, after they've done a whole series of projects and putting together what their data ecosystem looks like, okay? This customer is a, is a water utility in the Netherlands. They do three things. They manage the surface water, they collect uh, the sewage, and then they treat the sewage and, and push out uh, fresh water into the, um, or cleaned water into the, the water ecosystem, right? On the left-hand side, they've got the telemetry that is uh, focused on, on the surface water management. And I don't want to focus too much on that because that's just typical telemetry stuff, pulling data from the field via you know, GSM and all sorts of stuff. Those like, like that. Skate, SCADA packs or something? or No, no, no. They, they use uh, Phoenix Contact, I think. Um, but it's, it's pure one-way data. It's, uh, they're pulling in some, some information from sensors on, on the surface water. There's some, some actuators, but it, yeah, DNP3, I th well, I think they use I IEC 104, but it's similar to DNP3. Um, but that's not the interesting part, right? They, it's interesting to know they have 600 outstations in their network, but uh, that's not what I want to focus on. Um, they've got 200 pump stations. So if you talk to them, I mean, I, 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 one of the first questions I ask them is, how large is your data ecosystem? Or, you know, how many systems do you have? How many sites? And the answer that I got is we've, uh, and on the sewage side, we've got 230 objects. I'm like, oh, 230 objects. That's, that doesn't sound very big. Isn't it? No, an object is a site, right? <laughs> so that's the way they think about it. A site is an object that is made up of sub-objects, right? That's how, they, that's how they approach it. 200 bump stations, 30 sewage treatment works. The way that they engineer this, right? And when I say they, I mean the customer themselves. They don't use system integrators. They don't use, um, you know, they don't ask Schneider to, to engineer it for them. They do it themselves, okay? That's, that's the other important thing. Um, why would you they, object they, it at the site level, though? Unless these are exactly identical, well, because it's, it's, like it's that's more work than it's, it's worth. It's because it's it's system platform. I mean, it, when you're when you're doing system platform development, one of the most ideal ways to manage your um your interface is to, number of screens. Well, yeah. what you do is you create all your objects, and then you make all of them children in one big object, which is the visualization. And then you make that a, a, a series of visualizations that's a child of one object, which is the site location itself. It's a very yeah. common integration strategy with system platform. The challenge here, in the, the reason this really works, say in water, is because 
go to any wastewater treatment facility, go to any, go in any, I mean, it, the process is the same. I mean, it's, it, there are some deltas, right? But the process is the same. And so this exactly. really works exceptionally well in this type of process. E I mean, e exactly. So, so, so let's quickly talk about their engineering team. They do it themselves, right? If, if yeah. I say they've got 200 pump stations, 30 wastewater uh, processing plants, and then on top of that, they have three different artificial intelligence packages that gives them uh, predictive analytics, uh, optimizes their process, and uh, gives their operators assistance. So when an alarm or an event happens and the operator needs to know which button to go and click to recover from, from a failure, our AI is steering them, right? So they've, they've gone and achieved that uh, not completely the holy grail of AI pushing data back down to the PLC, but it has at least entered the control room where the operators are leveraging AI to help them manage their system. And they've leveraged AI to uh, optimize how their water pump stations and wastewater treatment facilities interlink and, and operate together. I saw a presentation of, of the gains that they made, be it energy, maintenance, all of that kind of stuff, and the savings the, the financial benefit of how they've done it is staggering, right? The, they saved 40% um, on their maintenance budget just by uh, controlling in a smart way how their pump stations operate, right? Okay. Anyway, so say, having said all of that, right, with the, the infrastructure you see in front of you, how large do you think their engineering team is? Take a guess. Well, I would say... Okay, I think the, the default three or four. I would say it's smaller than that. You could do this with with two people with this yeah, type. But it's a public. But it's a public utility, so you could support yeah, it. A, but it's a support. But it's in Denmark, right? Or yeah, I would say. Oh, okay. I'm, I'm thinking. I'm thinking Netherlands. United States. Yeah, no, I'd the say, operators I've worked with are not very. I'd say it's two people. <laughs> That's my my. I'm gonna say it's two. So 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 their their data ecosystem supports a hundred users, right? The large majority of that is opera operations. Well, right? I'm talking about the engineering. I'm saying yeah, the engineering yeah, yeah, group is. No, no, yeah, I'm getting yeah. to that, right? So ops, uh, ops and maintenance. Mark's like, like, I did this last weekend. <laughs> <laughs> no, ops, ops and maintenance is like 70 to 80% of the user base. And they have, yeah, four software engineers that look yeah. after this, right? And the only way that you can control or, or sensibly engineer a PLC SCADA application for 200 pump stations is to standardize and be right. very deterministic and say a pump station is a pump station, right? I'm not, I'm not going to allow in instances of my pump stations, circles and squares and triangles. No, from a maintenance perspective, spares holding, et cetera, et cetera. And from a data ecosystem perspective, we are going to be deterministic and say, this is a circle end of story. Right, and we you don't always that. have control over which contractor built pump station number one hundred eighty nine. But if you write the if you write the specification, right? But I, I want to say ideally they're, they're using. But I want to want to say something real quick to, to just for the audience. You know, one of the, the when we're looking at water wastewater use cases, another really good example for this where this is going to work great is like in um, green energy. So wind, solar, this is going to work really well because wind and solar, the object never changes. You're never, you're not doing new products like in discrete manufacturing or in linear manufacturing processes, you have PLM, right? You're developing new products, you're now developing new processes. You need, you know, you need flexibility and in innovation. 
here you yeah. don't you don't need that don't what need you need it, to yeah. do is to master the art of the process the process is the process is the process and it's not going to change right yeah. it's I, I come from i come from the water background and i did do a wastewater treatment or a uh, a sewage pump station and it was actually a, a modicon m340 it was i will say pump stations are probably uh sewage lift stations are a lot more standardized than like water pump stations because water pump stations a design and engineered build the number of pumps is unique the sizing of the pumps yeah but they don't have they don't but you're really kind of custom you can't really model a a pump station like you could but hold on station hold on zach real quick let's talk about the differences between water wastewater in the netherlands and here number one netherlands is not a very big nation it's a huge yeah (laughs) number one so the united when we think of water wastewater in the united states that covers an enormous amount of space and lots and lots and lots of people number one number two we are uh, that that approach to solving water wastewater solutions here in the united states is very corrupt okay most of the people who are working on those solutions are on the take the organizations are they're grease and palms and they're i mean this is and this is all well known leaving leaving code out of the yeah leaving out of code, code out that the, the, the approach that you know in the netherlands clearly the approach here is what is best you know what is best what it what should we do and here in the united states we don't generally, especially when it comes to the public yeah. projects. Yeah, because I'm like, I did one pump station and I know one sewer lift station. I know the number of problems that were on that one project. I'm right. like, there's no freaking way all 200 are the same. Like, right. But that's but, here. But Mark, let's go ahead. To continue on that, Zach. So, so yeah, even even in their system, like pump stations do vary from, from one site to the next in sizing of the pumps and exact number but it of still pump fits trains to the same model fits exactly the model. exactly and and the model is also extensible so for that outlier where you have a slight deviation for the for the one percent where things are different you can afford to extend the model and add the extra data and that just goes into your units and, and everybody okay. our, on with it, our so. architecture here that we promote is designed to do abstraction at a higher level in the architecture because of all the deltas on the edge one of the to your point determinism is very effective when there aren't a lot of deltas on the edge absolutely yes. a thousand yeah. percent and not only are they effective it's probably the the strategy of choice not, not yeah. probably it is the strategy of choice okay mm-hmm. on the edge all right yeah. we have mark do you have anything else you want to we've gone way over i just, just yeah so so just one other other small bit of context for for your scenarios is you typically live with machine builders that bring a machine with a PLC and it's very complex stuff moving inside, right? It's it's a complex piece of machinery, and but the PLC is part of the machine builder's IP, right? Yes. So you have to write the minimum technical requirements that says, hey, I need this data from you. In this format. Pushed in this format, blah, blah, blah. Um, and, and so you live with machine builders delivering machines, and then you have your system integrator that has to now try and get all of this stuff into a SCADA. Um, and that's different from heavy industry and uh, water mining, etc. They all, customers typically have the capabilities to, to write software themselves, develop the PLC and SCADA applications themselves. And if they don't do it themselves, they have usually... Uh, a board of system integrators, they control their standard. They say, if you are going to automate a valve, this is how you do it. 
and you get with the program or you don't work here kind of thing. So the customer controls absolutely down yeah. to PLC code level. Very few customers are like that here. Well, but you got to understand, again, in the United States, our focus is innovation. Only the customers that have worked with an integrator like the ones that we work with that have implemented that system on their behalf. I, I get this question a lot. I, and I want to don't a, have customers that have technical chops like that. I want to I want to uh -huh, I want to I get this question a lot. OK, the question comes up all the time. Why is it we don't standardize more in the United States? What, why is it in the United States? Yeah. It seems like standards are optional. And, and, and the answer is it's very, really quite simple. Like the SESME interface. You have, you have to understand that, you know, we live in a global economy, right? Where the supply chain is global. It's not, it's not nation by nation. Okay. The United States's role in the global economy is innovation. If you look at where innovation comes from and by Which contradicts standards, right? Very important here to understand. Innovation is not that I got into this debate with somebody the other day. They were saying that Apple innovates. No, Apple is not innovated since Steve, Cho Steve Jobs died. OK, if you make the M1 chip is not innovation. M2 chip is not innovation. It is a chip with 20 percent more transistors that runs cooler. That's continuous improvement. OK, that is not innovation. Innovation is a new idea. It is a new way of doing an old thing. The United States does that. We do the innovation piece. We fail a lot and we get it right sometimes. You know what happens when we come up with a really good idea that works and that could scale across the globe? Other nations are the ones who perfect it. The Japanese perfect it. The Germans perfect it. They're the ones who are developing the standards that then we Adopt. This is why IEC is a better standards body than, say, ISA, for example, which, which you know, one is focused in, in North America and the other one's focused in, in the EU. The United States is focused on innovation. If you look at manufacturing facilities in the United States and you compare them to manufacturing facilities in Germany, for example, the one thing that stands out in Germany is how standardized everything is. Holy yeah. shit. All these production lines are fucking identical and every operator they'll, they'll over engineer something right. that shouldn't even exist. But you don't in the United States, we don't do that because we're focused on developing the new product. We're focusing right. on building a better mousetrap where everyone is focused on this innovation. It's a, there's this innovation mindset and that and that is opposed to hyper standardization. What I say that we do wrong is there are standards we could adopt that wouldn't prevent us from being innovative. And, and so we have to come somewhere in the middle. Th this would be very hard to do across our entire country, the United States, because just the way our country is structured. Just the way we operate. I mean, it yeah. would just be so, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. but go ahead. So, 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 so that's, that's where I then join you again, right? So you have now a water utility and there are several in the netherlands and and I, I just have to defend the country that i'm living in at the moment where you say you're focused on innovation the dutch are some of the most innovative no people question. in europe and we are that is, i say we because i count myself yeah. almost as dutch already but the dutch are masters of water management yeah. i mean a large portion of the country is below sea level they manage water as an art, right? It is, it is a science here for them. Anyway, um, but you now have water utility A and next door to them is water utility B that also has potentially a structure like this, have also gone the hyper standardized route and built their applications like this. 
if I don't know, let's say the Dutch government decides, well, let's let's uh, make all of this public. We, we the government's going to take over all the water utilities, and we're going to make one data ecosystem. Then, if they build a central unit UNS for all the water systems in the entire Netherlands or say regions. Then you have to say, okay, that UNS has to be non-deterministic because each one of these water utilities have their own standards, and therefore they must be able to define their own namespace in the larger uh, ecosystem. Yeah. So then I then I join you again. Then it's okay. But from a, from a perspective of where an engineer has to manage PLC SCADA applications up to a point. There's a lot of value in being deterministic and 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 doing it. This I way. would also say that determinism and non-determinism within the UNS architecture, they're not mutually exclusive. What I would say is it's possible to be deterministic in functionally and and non-deterministic when it comes to data and information as commodity. And they are not mutually exclusive. They can live within the same UNS. And I use this example all the time of just the pure, raw, no determinism whatsoever it's all just grouped by device or hardware that lives in the same unified namespace as the functional DCS namespace, which is fully deterministic. Right. All right, Mark, okay. pre, I pre, uh, real quick, any J Zach, any questions or Josh, any questions on here? I got to answer before we, we call it a day. Anything that you wanted to have us. I don't, I, I don't really good. I feel like we could have an entire discussion yeah, there was, on, on water. Uh, there was, uh, <laughs> What, Which it, water is an underserved freaking industry. Like it's, you know, Lee Taylor's in the comments. Like real, real quick right here, uh, Mark, we'll just add, do this one. Alan Ramsey asked the Aviva and Schneider Electric Strategic Partnership was announced in 2018 in March. Uh, based on your five-year review, has it been a win-win-win? A win for each company and a win for the potential clients? I think I know the answer there, but. Um. Definitely, definitely win for us in Aviva um, in that we've, we've acquired, we have now, I think, uh, uh, a base of tech mm -hmm. with which we are going to shape the future of industrial automation. Uh -huh. If you look at what we're doing with universalautomation.org, IEC 61499, uh, the product that we we label that under is uh, automation expert, eco-structural automation expert. That and what's happening inside Aviva with um, the 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 data data hub and and um, the unification that's going to happen in in the Aviva space. Uh, OMI inside I, data I, hub. Exactly, all of that stuff. Um, the next five years is going to be very interesting. I, I can't divulge too much, but. Uh, watch the space. I would, win for I the would customer, say, yeah. Win for the customer, it's it's a bit of a double-edged sword, right? Because while we've, uh, we, we've we already touched on the, the complexity of if, if you have to enter Schneider, right, and you have to pick products, depending on who you speak to, you're going to get either product A, product B, product C, mm. uh, depending on whether you talk to what was the OSI Pi guys or the Wonderware guys or the Schneider guys in Aviva, um, you, you get differing opinions. So I, I think uh, there's been a lot of confusion. Uh, and yes, we have to own that. And certainly we, we are uh, the, the, the roadmap for the next five years is going to be uh, about unifying all of that. Um, and certainly I, I think a, 
a lot of the customers that we support um, feel that they they have got the value out of the system, right? That that's the that that's the one little anecdote that I um, can can say about Kaspar Harsberg. I I had the honor of meeting him once, right? And I was it was at the end of my four year projects engineering, just beginning to be a solutions uh, or a, a sales consultant, uh, just at that inflection point in my career. He was visiting South Africa, and I had to present one of my projects to him. And I went, I did the, 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 the total engineering thing, right? I went into all the nuts and bolts and I showed the architecture and I showed the PLCs and the IO accounts and the blah, blah, blah. And it was all very technical. And halfway through, he stopped me and he said, yeah, I just want to ask a question to everybody in the room. And it wasn't just me. It was my whole management sitting with me because I'm the little golden boy showing off his project to Kaspar Herzberg. He said, what value did you deliver to the customer with this project? And the room was silent. I couldn't give it because I wasn't prepared for that question. He said to me, guys, if you're not delivering measurable value to your customers with every single project that you're doing, you are wasting their money and worse, you're wasting their time. And that message sort of set the tone for the rest of my career. I'll never forget that moment because every single thing that we do has to be focused on delivering customer value. Great. That's that's a cusper. And so I believe, yeah, depending on site, you'll always hear, you'll always find some customers who can give a story of, well, they weren't happy with this project or they weren't happy with that solution. Yes, we don't do everything perfectly. Yeah. I, I would say- But we're certainly customer focused. I was there at one of the very first Aviva World Conferences in 2018 when they you know, first merged. And, um, I would say it's definitely been a win-win for both companies. And then for the client's perspective, yes, there are things that could be improved, but I think overall a client of Aviva or Schneider pre-merger is in better hands today than they were post-merger. Yeah. So they're, they're being more supported and, and into the future. And here's my opinion. Okay. And this is me, you know, hopefully this is a call to action to Schneider and Aviva. There's a lot of great solutions there. I, I really only need Aviva and Schneider to do two things. Number one, further consolidate the, the line card so that we have a, a better understanding of what goes where in the Schneider ecosystem when we're, when we're solving problems. Okay, that's number one. And number two, and this is the thing that probably frustrates me the most, I would say, if you are, a, if you are an automation vendor and you do not have a strategic focus on getting, on landing your solutions all over the world, okay? The, the, you know, the, the inductive automation approach to expanding your market, landing your solutions all over the world. If I, me as an engineer, can't test your product without talking to some sales guy or getting permission to download it, I'm never using your product. You are literally limiting your market to just through your channels. That's it. And inductive automation didn't go from... 1% of the market in 2012 to 33% of the market in 2023 by going through channels. They literally put their software in as many hands as humanly possible. Now, to inductive automation or to Schneider's uh, defense here, they have a lot more than just one piece of software, right? But yeah. this should be their strategy when it comes to software. I cannot go download. I've worked with system platform 
since the 10 release. Okay, no, no, the 9.1 release in 2008 or 9 or whatever it was. There's no reason why I should have to talk to someone to download system platform and develop some solution and then take that to a client and go, the, the license is going to cost X, Y, or Z, and we need this much for the engineering. You cannot do that inside the Schneider ecosystem right now. You need to be able to do that. And that's my call to action. You have to call somebody. You got to get somebody inside of Schneider to advocate for you. They're going to go ahead and give you the access that you're looking for. You got to pay for a development license. Right. You know what I mean? And, and I would say right now you should be able to go on Schneider's website, go on Aviva's website, go on OSIPI's website, mm -hmm. and download the software in, yeah. tri in, in any software in a trial mode now that the and, and 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 be able to build solutions. Their argument is we want to make sure that the solution you build works. So we want to have we want to have a touch on it. Okay, Ge you got GeoSkater and PlanSkater work like that. Yeah. You can download it, install it, run it, test Aviva it Edge, until you're Aviva doing the too, right. And, and Aviva Edge also you can yeah. you can do that with right. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Right. Awesome. So so yeah, it's it's really system platform, and I agree with you there. Yeah. I find it extremely frustrating that you need a developer's license to do just even. Taste it. Well, like that's why I converted to Ignition like in 2012, 2013. It's like I'm out here selling your software and you're gonna charge me. Like I'm I'm a representative kind of for you, you know? Like I'm an yeah. agnostic consultant, but yeah. like if I'm gonna sell your solution, you know, don't I, charge I, me. I will say, I will say I do believe <laughs> I do believe it's been a win-win-win, but there's work to be done. Yeah. Yes, right. absolutely. Hey, Mark, Thanks, I, Mark, I appreciate you coming on, man. Hey, this by the way. New record for longest podcast ever. I think our old one was one hour, 20 minutes. And so we went one hour, 38. Mark, this was a phenomenal conversation. Again, for those of you who are watching, like, subscribe, comment down below. Thank you for sticking us out. And uh, we will see you guys in the next one. Go ahead, Mark. What, what, one last yeah. thing. I, I advertised this stream on my LinkedIn, and I noticed a, a lot of my colleagues from Schneider said they were going to attain Yes. To all of my Schneider colleagues, if you're not on the 4.0 Solutions Discord, you need to get on there. Thank you. There's a wealth of information and discussions happening there that you need to be a part of. If you don't know how to get on there, please contact me. I'll you can you. go to iiot.university forward slash discord. All right. Anyone. Thank you, everybody. We will.